0: The Seahawks left another body in their wake en route to the offseason, hammering the Arizona Cardinals and introducing a confusing surge of optimism into the discourse. Join Mike and I as we discuss the big win and hand out some end-of-year honors. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to The Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my dashing producer, Mike Barwin, this is The Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today?
1: I'm feeling good, Jackson. I'm feeling refreshed. The Seahawks season has officially been put to bed, and my body is ready to bask in the glow of schadenfreude. (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean,
0: we might not have got a ticket to the dance this time, but it'll be fun to uh, pick our favorite enemies and root against them without the uh, cloud of anxiety hanging over our own game. This is something where we have watched our team have all the fun slash misery of playing in the playoffs. And don't get me wrong. I would much rather be preparing for a Seahawks playoff game as a fan, but isn't there a little bit of a relief to just let go and like, be a football fan for a little bit, because I mean, I really do love playoff football, and I love everything that goes into it, and how much every play matters. And there's no more rebounding from losses, and the way that that affects teams and players and coaches. You
1: know, we've gotten some incredible football just in like the last few days, the final day of the season. You know, you get the the Raiders Chargers game just oh, going down. Oh man, to-
0: that's the, that was game of the year. I I mean. I I'm definitely a prisoner of the moment when it comes to stuff like that, but that's the best regular season football game. I think I've ever watched it was
1: <laughs> like Justin Herbert. He's been, you know, like the darling for the entire season for, for both years of his career at this point. Like he's incredible. Yeah. Um. You and I were talking about this, but like he has to be top three in the league, right? It's him, Mahomes and Rogers. I I think so. I think so.
0: He's definitely in that conversation and, you know Brady's probably still there but at this point it's hard to imagine being more excited about a quarterback than a player like Herbert I mean it's it's him and Mahomes if you're talking about who you're going to build a franchise around right now and that just and what's funny is like neither of those guys were the first quarterback taken in their draft it's not like they were can't miss you know they came in with question marks and all that so yeah that was really really fun to watch and you know I know a lot of us myself included We're critical of the NFL for adding a 17th game, but man, week 18 delivered. I mean, it delivered in a really big way and expanding the playoffs to seven teams was awesome. I mean, it just made so many more games matter than they wouldn't have. What was really cool about that game was like, usually the outcome is binary, right? Like if you win, this happens, if you lose, this happens, but then like all of these really unique dominoes had to fall. To make the tie super interesting. So now you've got the Steelers rooting for any outcome except a tie. And for the whole game, that looked as safe as could be. Raiders were up by like 15 with six minutes left or something like that. (laughs) And it came down to a field goal with no time left to avoid that tie. I mean, it was just the most bizarre. Are they going to down it out? What's going to happen? I've
1: never felt like that watching a football game. Watching Herbert convert fourth and long after fourth and long. After oh my gosh. Fourth and long after six in a long. row? Give me a break. They scored the the game tying touchdown as regulation expired. It's very easy to forget that the touchdown before that it was like a fourth and twenty-nine or something. Oh yeah. And they then they oh. scored the two point conversion. It was just Which like, is basically
0: oh another God. fourth down. I mean the the two point conversion is functionally a fourth down. And he converted yeah he converted all of them. And then the the one he hit to Mike Williams was like throw of the year anyway. So that game was awesome. Uh, And you know, the Seahawks played a 17th game and that was awesome. I mean, in a way it was one of the more enjoyable Seahawks games in years for me because not only did they look incredible, but the existential dread of a loss was removed from the situation completely. And we were just free to simply evaluate. It's like the liberation uh, that comes with a bad record it was great, and for the first time in eight years, nine years, eight years, the season ended with a win. Like, every other season, even when they've made it to the playoffs, and the one year they missed, they went into that game playing for, for a chance to get in. It's ended with a loss, and and there's a pallor that hangs over the conversation, no matter how many games they won, that's like, okay, what's wrong with this team? What needs to change for them to go further? And while there's plenty of that to be had, we're finishing on a hell of an upswing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it feels great to play spoiler. And that's that was something that was kind of lost in the discourse surrounding that Chargers Raiders game. Like, you know, okay, calling the timeout. Oh, were they just going to run the clock out, take the tie, like sending your division rival home or spoiling the two seed after the Niners beat the Rams, you know, for the Cardinals. It feels good, you know. It does. It does. I mean, I, you know,
0: it's it sucks that the Steelers are in. The Steelers are like the most boring playoff team that ever existed. They're fucking unwatchable. The lightning but, rod
1: that is forty nine year old Ben Roethlisberger. Oh my
0: god. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a painful team to watch, and it's like we could have had. Herbert and Eckler and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Derwin James and Brandon Staley. I mean, this is an Rich more interesting. Rich Fisashio said, fuck team. no. Yeah. But to your point, like, hell yeah. If the Seahawks are in that situation and it's like, hey, a tie guarantees we get in, but we can knock the Rams out by making this field goal, you're going for the field goal and we're rooting for it.
1: So 100 out of 100 times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And, and, you know, I I know I know that the hateration is strong in you, and so I, I get that that was that was speaking to you directly. But I want to talk about the Seahawks game specifically. For the second straight week, they looked really really complete to me.
1: Yeah, we've we've talked about vibes a lot on this show, and because they're important, but the vibes feel good. You know, like the season is ending. They and do. the record was bad. There was so much negative just bottled up throughout Ugh. the year. You know, <laughs> like carbonated, shaking that shit, and it's it just exploding time and time again. And uh, like the vibes are good. And maybe they feel so good because of that relativity, because it was so bad for the rest of the year. But like the past several weeks, especially on Sunday, against the Cardinals, division rival, a playoff team, it was like the manifestation of the team's stated vision, what they've been harping on. It was like, for this yeah. whole time. And they looked really good doing it. You know, and Pete said it himself in a radio spot yesterday. Um, he said that, quote, I'm really pleased that we finished with a real clear illustration of who we are. Finishing strong mm. is important. It inspires confidence. And that's going to be a defining theme of this off season." does the plan that Carroll and Schneider have made and stuck to and will likely double down on this offseason, obviously there are different avenues to do that, but does that inspire confidence in Russell Wilson, in you, in me, in trusty overlord Jody Allen? Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, of course, it it does inspire some confidence, but it's not a clear confidence, right? It's a confusing one. It it makes the situation more opaque where we were talking about a bad team, for most of this season, at least a team that was playing bad, right? Good players, potentially good systems, bad outcome after bad outcome. And there's a clarity that comes with that. Even if there's disagreement about the type of change, most of the conversation is surrounding the need for change. And now it's like, well, because they're clicking. And if, you know, this was weeks six and seven that they went off like this. And then the rest of their outcomes were littered throughout and they ended up seven and 10 were feeling way different, but they finished on that. And, and one of the things, you know, I have been critical of Pete Carroll this year and, and it's important to me to clarify. I know a lot of people are coming to cigar thoughts for the first time through the podcast this season, but you know, for the 10 years that I've been writing about this team, I've been largely supportive of Pete Carroll, and not just when you know they were at the peak, but because the systems and the energy have been really, really good, and and that's faded a little bit. And for me, one of the biggest criticisms was this feeling like the killer mentality is gone. You know, the the ability to just put teams away, but for two weeks in a row, they didn't take their foot off the throat, and eighty nine points in two weeks. Is something that's only been done three times in the last five years by any team. That's crazy production.
1: You look at the last five weeks. You know the Rams loss was obviously. It's never good. I mean those games are gross. <laughs> that's that's like they always the are man death taxes. The Rams games feeling disgusting. Uh, but I mean you have the Texans. Obviously a bad team, but you beat them handily. Uh, yep. the 49ers, another excellent comeback win, you know, squashing the rival for the second time, no matter how bad the team gets, at least they have that consistency in walloping, um, their Bay area buddies. And I, 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 am totally with you. The fact that they finished strong is a much needed solve for a lot that has happened. And it's so funny, you know, all of these losses, like it, it just kept snowballing it's snowballing, you know, like. The Saints lost, the Washington lost, and then it comes to a head against the Bears. You know, um, the the message that we were kind of getting at after that was, this is probably for the best, you know, because yeah. it exposes the inner workings. Right, you can't hide behind the wins, and yet, <laughs> and yet here, here we, we are. are. Where it's like ah. <laughs> They won yeah. some games. So, they looked good so, doing it. So let me ask
0: you this. How do you... The Bears game wasn't that long ago. That was two and a half weeks ago. How do you reconcile what we saw in that game with what we've seen since? Because it's not like there was major changes to the roster.
1: I just... I have no problem losing to a Super Bowl MVP such as Nick Foles, you know? <laughs> Get out of here. No. Okay, I mean, that, no that, but- was, that, that was like a truly embarrassing performance. And I think... The way that I, maybe this is a coping mechanism, but the way that I look at that game is, okay, they were shellacking a not horrible team, but not good team, you know, in Mm -hmm. the Bears, and they blew it in every phase. How Mm -hmm. do you respond to that? And the way that the team responded and the way that they were so vocally rallying behind the leadership and executing, that was what we talked about so much with Jake Keeps last week, the execution. Mm-hmm. The execution was the best that it has been this entire season over those last two weeks. The vibes were great. The players were having fun. You see Russell Wilson coming off of the field uh, after that touchdown run where he trucks Buda Baker yeah. into the end zone. He is yeah. more hyped than he's been in years. You know, they're looking at that game. Pete Carroll was saying that he just had no idea how to reconcile The fact that they were out of it, that they had, quote unquote, nothing to play for. So they approached those games as the NFC championship and the Super Bowl. And they were fucking jacked. They were they were pumped, jacked. All of the superlatives that Pete loves to loves to harp on. Mm -hmm. It was just really fun to see. They were fun games to watch. And that is something that cannot be said about the vast majority of this season.
0: I don't know how to, to make it add up other than there is a lot of variability to the NFL when you have that much talent on the field and there's going to be 110 to 130, 140 plays in a game. There's a lot of variance that's going to happen. And and it's it's weird because in a way, there's a case to be made that there was just an unlucky series of variance for two and a half months with this team. I mean, a lot of these losses were close. Don't get me wrong. They didn't play well in most of the losses, but they could have won them anyway. And, and, you know, if they had played the exact same from just an overall execution standpoint, but had won three more games and finished 10 and seven, and now we're going into the playoffs. I don't know how much Different, I would feel, but you'd be forced to be having a different conversation about it if that makes sense. But there's a part of me that is wanting to just lean into the outcome of the last two weeks and say, Yeah, this is what can happen moving forward. It was a new offensive system, these guys are learning a new language, and it didn't click. I mean, they were good offensively the first four and a half, five weeks, but You know, it's been fits and starts, and they've gone long stretches of having a tough time getting going. A lot of that is just a defense that's not getting off the field, right? So if you go three and out, it might be eight, nine minutes of game time before you get another chance to try and find this new rhythm in this new system. But then we saw them just hold it for a long time. And at one point, they scored, I think it was 14 times in an 18-drive stretch to finish the season. That's crazy. I want more. 15, I
1: 16.
0: No, I mean truly, though. I mean, one of them was downing it out on the one yard line against the Lions, which I basically count as the scoring drive. And so, you know, is what we're seeing there sustainable? And we've we've talked a lot about on this show the value of the run game, and I think it's been really centering for me to have that conversation, whether it be with Matt Nichols towards the beginning of the season whether it be with Jake Heaps at the end, um, but just talking about the real intrinsic value of being able to run the ball well. And I think that what we've come to from this is this realization, not even a realization, just an acknowledgement that being able to run really well is a hallmark of most of the really good teams. I think the frustration just came from them not running it well. And so you're like, why are you doing this? But now... I mean, do we have a good running game moving forward with this team?
1: It sure it sure looks like it, but the the idea is, okay, when you're in the middle of the season and the attrition hits, you know, they dealt with O-line injuries throughout the year. Damian Lewis missing games. Gabe Jackson mm-hmm. was a staple, but he was out for week 18. You know, um, Dwayne Brown's getting older. You had Kyle Fuller and Ethan Posick at center. Um, not uh, all that inspiring. And Brandon Shell has missed time. So, like – Yeah. What are you going to do to ensure the reliability of your offense when those injuries hit? And that is something that you and I have talked about at length, you know, like you got to hammer the O line. And that's what, that's what Jake was saying. Russ wants offensive line help, which like, yeah, so do we, so does everybody. And like, Uh I do think that when healthy, the group that they have now clearly functional, you know, like, and they were playing with Phil Haynes who looked solid too. Um, but
0: part of me is worried about that, though. Part of me is totally worried that Pete Carroll excuse. is going to be like, "See, we yep. can we can just coach these guys up. It just takes a little time, and we can keep throwing this smattering of misfits out there. You know, if we if we have an injury or or whatever. So then, uh, so
1: then, what's your what's your off season wish list? Like, what 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 mm-hmm. is? If you look back at what they've done, what did they do to have you look at it and say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel good about this. I feel confident in the direction that the team is going to set themselves for up for success in 2022.
0: I'm going to answer this question under the auspices of Pete Carroll and John Schneider being back, it's it seems like, like I mean be the case. It, it's seeming like it, and and you know one of the things that we haven't spent enough time talking about is how much money these guys are owed. And I know the Allen Family Trust is not hurting for money. It doesn't mean they're going to throw away eighty million dollars of owed money between Pete Carroll and John Schneider to make a change. Like performance, I think would have to be worse. The direction would have to feel significantly worse than it does right now to be eating that kind of money uh to take a chance on a new coach and a new GM. So, let's let's go ahead and assume that they're going to be back. I am hopeful that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are done trading building block assets for win now assets. There is a case to be made that this team with a healthy Russell Wilson could have won 11, maybe even 12 games. There's a story you can tell and I'd listen to it in a way. It might be better that they didn't because now, now you, you can't be trading first round picks for Jimmy Graham or Percy Harvin or Jamal Adams anymore. But what now about Calvin Ridley to build? Oh my God. Okay. Maybe for Calvin, Ridley. <laughs> maybe for Calvin. No, you know, I, 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 Calvin Ridley is one of my favorite players in the NFL would obviously love to see him uh, as a Seahawk, but you know, it's so hard to justify
1: this, giving up more to pay guys. It
0: is. You look at what the Chiefs did, right? Like they they lost a Super Bowl because they sustained a couple injuries to their offensive line and couldn't couldn't block the Buccaneers. The Chiefs are the best team in the NFL top to bottom and have been for 4 or 5 years in aggregate. But they got exposed with a lack of depth on their offensive line. So they went out and got Joe Thune. They drafted Creed Humphrey. That's going to kill me forever. You know? And and they Trading didn't... for
1: Orlando Brown.
0: Right. Yes, exactly. They didn't just say, like, oh, you know, our offensive line is going to be healthier again next year. And we just need some more weapons or whatever. They're like, nope. We're going O-line. And, you know, they had their own struggles for a little bit. But they're coming into the playoffs having won 9 of 10. I mean... They, they look ex- as dangerous as they ever have. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I am hoping that we see money spent on the offensive line. What's going to be interesting is, and I'm encouraged to hear what Pete Carroll's been saying over the last couple of days reflect this, is figure out which of the guys we're going to stick around. So we, we should probably do that first. Sure. Because that's going to eat up a fair amount of the money. The first thing that I'm going to hope to be able to do is restructure Bobby Wagner. We we've talked about potentially cutting him. My understanding of the situation is that they save $16 million. If they do that, you add to the 53-ish million that they appear projected to have to spend already. That's a lot of money. But I think if you could move some of that around and clear up another five, eight, ten million somehow with uh with Bobby, I would rather have him there than not. Cody Barton looked good against the Cardinals, but I don't necessarily want 1100 snaps out of Cody Barton if we can avoid it. Uh, So I think that would be the big thing. My number two priority is Dwayne Brown. And I was encouraged to hear him say on Monday that he was open to a one-year deal. He understands his age. He understands the market. And he didn't say, yeah, just give me a one-year deal and I'll stay. But he said that yeah, he would listen to that. So if you can get Dwayne Brown on a maybe a two year deal with a team option, I'd be into that. If I
1: can interject here just for a second please to go back to the to the Cardinals game on that on that touchdown run by Russell Wilson, see the way that Dwayne just sunned Chandler Jones. Just wrenched oh him to the ground. Like yes. sit down, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah, like a wily vet Dwayne Brown, you know, Andrew Whitworth won't fucking die. So like, why not? Trent Williams is the best <laughs> left tackle in football. Just ride, ride him into the sunset.
0: Great left tackles can stay great. We've seen it at that position. We're seeing it at that position. You just know Dwayne Brown wants to strangle Russell Wilson like 10 times a year because he's blocking his guy all the way to the back of the pocket. <laughs> see Russell Wilson turn and run straight into him. And Dwayne Brown has to eat a sack out on that. But like, realistically you know he's not the same all pro caliber left tackle but it's not like he's falling off a cliff he's still the best blocker on that line that's a huge hole to fill at a position of immense scarcity that carries a massive massive premium whether it be draft capital or salary to replace so i think i think even if he's lost half a step you keep him the other thing is You hear coaches talk all the time about the value of an anchor on that line. The offensive line, when it's blocking well, is a chain, right? They are connected to each other. And it's really important to have that one anchor that is also every week putting tape out that the rest of the guys can look at. They say, this is how you do it. This is how you run block. This is how you set your protection. All of those things. So I would like to keep him the... Third thing for me is quandary Diggs, and as horrific as the timing and severity of that injury was, sounds like broken fibula, dislocated ankle. Uh, Pete said today, it looks like he'll be back. Um, I was reading one doctor saying that, yeah, there's, there's no reason to think that as long as the surgery and rehab doesn't have any setbacks, he should be back for week one. If anything, this sounds so cold to say, if anything, it might've saved Seattle some money. Yeah. bringing them back might've scared some of his other suitors off, but he'd be number three. And then DJ Reed would be number four. DJ
1: Reed. Yep. And that, that's, that's totally it. I, and I, to a lesser degree, Sidney Jones, you know, like yeah. even, even if uh, he's not <laughs> pro bowl caliber or anything like that, you know, like getting competent play out of your cornerbacks is so important, especially with Trey Brown coming off a patellar tendon injury, yep. you know, like you have to go into the season with three or four guys. And I I don't include Ugo in that discussion, you know, like he great, great depth at nickel or free safety or wherever. Um, But you need three to four boundary corners that (laughs) you're not terrified to trot out onto the field. And those are two guys that are stable. If nothing else, DJ Reed is actually good. And yeah, you need stability at those positions.
0: You, you do and, and you need you need depth not only to withstand injury but even at full strength as the NFL moves more and more to 11 personnel as the base offense. And for those listening who are unfamiliar, 11 personnel means one running back one tight end. so you've got three receivers out there. The majority of plays in the NFL now actually pretty wide majority of plays in the NFL are now run with at least three receivers on the field and for as much as Seattle wants their linebackers to cover 30-yard sail routes down the field that's just not the way and and even when Seattle's defense has been playing well that has been something that they've been able to exploit so i'm with you there here's my question if it if the dominoes fall in a way where you have to make a choice between re-signing DJ Reed and re-signing Rashad Penny
1: DJ Reed not close not close like i Rashad Penny is just going to be the firecracker of the offseason, right? Because it really just depends on what his market is. It sounds like Pete is expecting Chris Carson to be back by camp. If you're going to keep Chris Carson on the team, I cannot justify giving Rashad Penny more than like a few million dollars as, or like something incentive-laden as like a prove-it deal, which could be realistic, you know, but like that is – rare talent that he flashed. And you just know that somebody is going to throw a bag at him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think someone might, you know, it's, it's interesting. He seems like, and you know, so many of these players, despite it being such a gross feeling season, so many of them are coming out and saying like, I don't want to go anywhere. Everyone from DK Metcalf to Dwayne Brown, Quandre Diggs, like, all these guys, DJ Reed's been the one that's like, eh, we'll let's see. see the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like pretty much everybody else, Rashad Penny is, is just like, this is home. I don't want to be anywhere else. And, and I remember reading a profile about him earlier in his career about how he is very shy. He's a homebody. He doesn't really go out feeling comfortable in his surroundings are, is something that's really, really important to him. And even through all of his struggles, You know, this has been the redemption story for the Seahawks is Rashad Penny. And he's talked so much about how much the team has supported him. And you can see how happy these guys are for him. I I could see him turning down a a little bit of extra money to stay. Uh, I think DJ Reed is going to be expensive. He is a young cornerback that has not only put out a bunch of really, really good tape. It's hard to quantify cornerback play. But one of the main ways you hear that done and take it for whatever you want to take it for is PFF grade. PFF had him as the number 10 corner in the NFL this year and the number one corner in the NFL over the last month of the
1: season. Sounds pretty good to me. He might be expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to get a lot of money. That's expensive, though. He deserves it. Yeah. He does. But, like, you need that guy, right? You have good players that are young you should want to resign them. You should want to retain them. And I, I think it's a no brainer to pay DJ Reed unless he, his cost, his asking price is just astronomical and it just throws a wrench into everything else. But then you need, then you need an answer to fill those shoes.
0: Would you rather have DJ Reed? I'm just throwing numbers out here. Yeah. Would you rather have DJ Reed three for 27 or Rashad Penny, two years, 8 million
1: Uh, DJ Reed three for 27.
0: I think I would too.
1: I mean, anything I, think I would <laughs> Anything under ten million, I'm like giving giving DJ Reed that like without even hesitating. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I just I that's one where I'm really curious to see what the market is is going to be like. I mean, we are seeing corners come into the NFL more NFL ready than ever, and I think it's because the college game has become so pass forward that there's a real case to be made for those elite perimeter athletes to be cornerbacks as opposed to just wide receivers, because there's a million great wide receivers now and, and to win in college, you have to be able to defend the pass. So, you know, I think there's going to be options coming in through, through the draft, but yeah, DJ Reed is, it's such a premium position. The thing with Rashad Penny is you, if he doesn't come back, you are letting go of his ceiling that I'm just going to say you won't find again. Oh, totally. Right? We're talking about it's like 700 yards in the last – what was it? 700 yards and six touchdowns in the last five games. Number one in the NFL. Uh, his yards per carry at the end of the season, which I know on a granular level, you know, a lot of the nerds – and I, I kind of toss myself in that group a bit as well – don't like yards per carry. And it's not, it's not like a super – spreadsheet friendly number but you get enough the sample size large enough it gives you a pretty good idea you look at the end of the year who which running backs have the best yards per carry it it tracks with the eye test for the most part he finished 6.6 the next best running back was Tony Pollard at 5.5 that is standard deviation better than the rest of the NFL Yeah, and that's counting his 3 or 4 games as a backup where he was averaging like 2 or 3 yards a carry
1: Pete Carroll sees rashad penny like coming to fruition in a sense right like that is the guy exactly the guy a better version of the guy that they thought that they were drafting with the 27th overall pick in the 2018 draft and in an offseason that you hope that they're going to continue to upgrade that line um to make it even, to make the environment, the surrounding pieces, even more supportive of that skill set, and <laughs> like pairing him with Chris Carson potentially, like they're just gonna be salivating. I, I I truly think that they're gonna do anything that they can to bring him back. Whether they pay too much, uh, that is to be determined. Uh, there is a very real scenario that they do, um, but like, how can you not be excited? about having that guy on your field. And we were, we were talking a while back about how the value of having good running backs, even if your line isn't very good is being able to maximize the smaller number of creases and holes that are available to them. And nobody can take advantage of that slightest space. Like a guy who just goes zero to 60 yeah. in like in no time at all.
0: Well, and and we've talked a fair amount about, how much we respect and, and envy the Packers offense because be they the can Packers type of game. That's the rallying have. cry, be the, be the Packers. It is, it is, be the Packers. And they've got two really good running backs. And I think you got to try and exhaust every option to bring Rashad Penny back. And if you can't, and it doesn't add up, or doing so is going to cost you a DJ Reed or a Quandre Diggs, then then you let it go. But there's, there's no one they're going to draft or get in free agency that I think will will have the same ceiling as Rashad Penny because he's putting up like bananas, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry type numbers despite being a very different style of running back.
1: The way that you continue to add sustainability to those results that you saw with Rashad Penny, assuming they re-sign him, is sign one of those big-name offensive linemen in free agency. Let's
0: talk about... Who that is. I mean, top of the list, you got Brandon. Brandon Scherf. Yep. Yep.
1: And Ryan Jen. He's a
0: guard. He's 30 type of guy you can throw four years at four year contract at and feel good. But that's going to be a lot of money. That's a lot. It's you know, you're probably looking 15 to 18 million dollars a year, which is a ton to play a guard. I'd do it. Oh,
1: yeah! I, you see, you I would see do the it. Chief signing uh, Tooney. The difference is Tooney. I don't think has ever missed a game in his career, and Scherf has missed quite a few. But yep. I mean, still, like Brandon Scherf. Uh, you know, you you move Damian Lewis to center and profit, or sign Ryan Jensen and he's your center, and then you have Lewis and Gabe Jackson on either side of him. Profit. Yeah,
0: Jensen would be awesome. I'd be, I'd be super into that.
1: And that was the thing that, you know, heaps was heaps was talking about as well. You can't just get road graders. You need guys that can perform in the ground game and keep your quarterback clean and uh, just, just pay somebody, man. Like just pay somebody.
0: I mean, I'm just looking at the top projected offensive line. just go through them. You got Brandon Scherf, Nate Solder, Cam Robinson, Andrew Norwell, Teron Armstead, Ryan Jensen, Matt Paradis, Trenton Brown, Jason Kelsey, Laurent Duvernay, Tardif. These are Riley Reef. These also. Exactly. And so you've got a few that you can choose from. It's not like there's only two or three good ones out there this year where you're like, okay, you know, scarcity is going to make the market go way too high. I, I think that if you can circle eight guys and say, we're not leaving this off season without two of them, and just earmark thirty million. I think you can still re-sign most of your guys, especially if you're able to rework Bobby a little bit and go get two of them. That's what I would like to see this totally. offseason look like.
1: I just, I'm, I'm hoping that it's just not necessarily like the Luke Jokel deal or something, you know, where they're just picking up that, somebody. That's that, just, I mean, that
0: one yeah. stunk from the beginning, and that. And that's the thing that scares me is this idea that they can just do these reclamation projects like at, yeah, at some point it's just clear that's not going to happen, and and you just got to go get the guys like those dudes. But I mean, Russ has made himself loud and clear on that point. So if we're running it back, then that's what's got to happen. So yeah, that that's what I'd like to see. Honestly, I'm surprised if you told me a month ago that my main off season goals were going to be to keep the band together, as far as like the roster goes, I, I would have been stunned. i be like, hell no, this is the year we finally have the ducats. Let's go spend them on free agents. Basically. I would love for them to get a couple of good offensive linemen and then keep everybody. They're a pretty young roster. Still. Would you rather get two top end free agent, offensive linemen, or one, Top offensive lineman and one very good defensive line. The latter, one and one. You would, I think. I think so too. I, I, I think you just pay more. Well, normally you pay more on defense, but I'm looking at the names, and the names are a lot bigger on the offensive side this year. You might not have to pay quite as much. So, the top unrestricted free agents on the defensive line. Are Dante Fowler Jr., Clayus Campbell, Jason Pierre Paul somehow still, uh, Akeem Hicks, Jerry Hughes, Brandon Williams, and Dominican Sue. I mean, Jadavian Clowney, these are old players. I mean, outside of the I would say of the top ten available defensive linemen, only one of them's under thirty.
1: So Yeah, like Randy Gregory's twenty nine or something, and like that's
0: totally. Totally. I mean, Dante Fowler Jr. is probably going to get the most money just because of his age. I don't think he's the best player of them, but he's close and he's the youngest, but everybody else is old. You might not have to give out a huge contract to get one of those guys. And just like the offensive line moves as a chain and works as a unit, the value of having one guy that just demands double teams does wonders for everybody else. And we saw 10 sacks over the last two weeks. That's pretty crazy production. And thank God, God, Ken Norton Jr. Stop dropping those dudes into coverage. I don't I don't know what you do with with Dunlap. Um he's an interesting one because he didn't do anything for the first three months and then was insane. What he finished with like eight and a half sacks. Yeah. And he got he gets six and a half of them in the last three games. So, you know, I I like to think that's sustainable. But you you would consider it a miss if essentially the defensive line looks more or
1: less the same as it did this year. Unless Daryl Taylor becomes uh, <laughs> like Robert Mathis or something, then yes, yeah. I would consider that. Um, I would consider that a failure. You need like a game wrecker, whether that's yeah. Taylor or somebody else or somebody that opens that up for Taylor to be that guy if his development moves in that direction. Like you have to affect the quarterback.
0: Totally. We talked about the Raiders Chargers game. Look at the impact Max Crosby
1: had on Max that Crosby game. is a brute.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and he's a great player. I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, just go get a Max Crosby. That's
1: hard draft to find. Just draft Max Crosby in the but, fifth round. <laughs> yeah,
0: but it speaks to what you're talking about. By him being so great, you see it with the Watts. You see it with the Bosas. You see it with Miles Garrett. The players that play next to those guys have so much better seasons as a result of that. Of Either, either you double-team this guy and take a blocker away from another defender or or you hope that they don't destroy your entire game plan. And so, yeah, that's going to be interesting. You know, one player that we didn't talk about that is going to be a decision for this team is Gerald Everett. You bringing them back.
1: Um, yes, probably. Low, I, fe- I feel lowest like priority. I feel like Gerald Everett is like a weird, weird topic of conversation because I think like, I think that he was like a net positive signing for sure. Like he is a good addition in the passing game. He is not to me the most reliable guy, but <laughs> what? But he, <laughs> I mean, he was thrust into an offense that kind of went through, <laughs> went through a lot of shit this year. Yeah, like I would sign him if it's something in the realm of like six to eight million dollars a year. If you don't have a better option at tight end, sounds like they want to mm-hmm. bring back Will Disley because they love sure his his uh, blocking ability. Um, and those, those soft, soft, uh, soft, soft hands from Uncle Uh Will. Right. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean like Gerald Everett is not like a huge needle mover for me. So I'm, I'm fine either way, but like you need bodies. So there's what
0: actually happens. And then there's our impression of what actually happens. And you can point to, I mean, he had some atrocious moments, right? I don't know that a tight end has ever had a worse game than he did in that second Niners matchup. And then of course he dropped the easy touchdown on Sunday and you can point at those, those moments stick out in your mind as like, Oh my gosh, like how, how does that happen? You can't count on this guy. Okay. Maybe, but there were times when this offense wasn't doing anything He was the most reliable guy.
1: He was the go-to. Sure.
0: The problem is his best games happened in losses. I mean, his best games were against the Bears and against the Rams and against the Packers and against the Vikings. I mean, these were all losses, but he was the one that was moving the chains for the team when no one else was. So those aren't sexy. We don't talk about those games or about his big plays in those games because they lost and they looked generally bad in those games. But I think Seattle, in a lot of ways, has been a victim of the timing not lining up, right? We've seen a lot over the last 10 years that we've good players playing well all at the same time, and you get that feeling of momentum. It was just scattered this year, and and his best games came without memorable moments, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and when I say he wasn't reliable, that's not I'm not necessarily talking about, like, you know, the three turnovers on him in the Niners game or, like, the drop on Sunday. (laughs) I I think that's more a symptom of me being really infatuated with tight ends whose best, uh, whose greatest asset is their hands, you know? Like, the Zach Millers, like, what Will Disley looked like he might become before a series of injuries, you know, like uh, Gerald Everett is a dynamic player. Like he's that yak guy. Right. Um, and, and he was great moving the chains in moments that the team really had nobody else to go to. Um, but yeah, I think that like having both skill sets is important. And I don't necessarily think that Will Disley is that guy, unfortunately. So like maybe Colby Parkinson is, but, um, When I say reliability, I mean like, all right, who's running a hitch uh, on third and six or fourth and six with the game on the line and Russ just fucking rockets that thing into his chest with two defenders draped all over him and he's going to make the catch. Who's 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 catching that ball? And I don't necessarily think that that's Gerald Everett, but that doesn't mean that he's not a tremendously useful player.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's one I I would prefer all else being equal. I would prefer that he be a Seahawks
1: next year. I'm with you
0: he is going to be a relatively inexpensive asset for that kind of athleticism, for that kind of dynamic. And, and there is benefit to having a player like that lined up with a linebacker that you're not going to get from Jacob Hollister, who was going to catch whatever he threw to him. And then he was going to go down exactly where he caught it. And, and Gerald Evers is the complete opposite of that, but yeah, he's probably lower, if not lowest guy on the totem pole of the ones that we that we were discussing.
1: The other guy that I wanted to touch on before we move on is bring back Al woods, man, bring him back. Al woods is awesome.
0: You know what? I have not given Al woods nearly enough. Maybe any flowers this year. He was great. He was great. He's just kind of that Quentin Jefferson type of dude that if you got him, you love him. You slap him in the middle and he just, he just sucks up a bunch of OL dudes trying to, just trying to contain him, you know? And he, he he keeps the push from going forward on the O-line. So I'm with you. be great to bring him back. Can't imagine he'd be, he'd be too expensive. Um, all right. So a couple more things to get to on this show. And one of them I'm really, really excited about before we get there, though. Real quick. Seahawks out of it. You got 14 teams left. Who are you rooting for? This postseason, not
1: the not NFC your West. predictions.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking for your predictions. I want to know who you're rooting
1: for. That I mean, I really like watching the Packers play football. I do too.
0: What's uh What's your dream Super Bowl this year?
1: Uh, probably Packers. Packers in the NFC and AFC. The Chiefs are fucking awesome, but like. I mean, and I I would be stoked if it was Packers Chiefs, but I would too. The Bills are a lot of fun. Honestly, I don't necessarily think that they can do it, but the Bengals. Bengals, if, yes. If the Bengals yes. found a way to make it happen, and I know it won't happen even more, most likely. But like the Raiders,
0: get them out of my I don't face, know, man. man. The
1: AFC, the AFC has some fun teams. Just like, <laughs> in contrast to. The absolute butthole that is the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm looking at these matchups. You got Raiders Bengals. That's easy Bengals for me. I don't. I I admire the adversity the Raiders have overcome between Gruden and Ruggs and all of that stuff. It's really impressive they made the playoffs. Man, they got outscored by like 60 points this year. I don't want to. I don't want them around any longer than they have to be. The Bengals are fucking awesome to watch, so I hope they win that game. Bills, Patriots, fun. Be happy with with either outcome. I I will be rooting for the Bills, but I am so impressed with the Patriots this year. Be fine either way. Eagles, Buccaneers. You know, I'm I'm all in on on Brady these days. they're I I rooted against him for so long because early in Russell Wilson's career, I could tell a story where Wilson caught him in Super Bowls right and and after they he lost to Brady and then Brady just kept on going it's like I'm I'm just going to appreciate the greatness (laughs) yeah yeah I'm going to I'm going to appreciate the greatness but the Eagles are a fun story too fine either way Niners Cowboys all right we hate both of these teams or at least we're supposed to but for me this is easy Cowboys it's Also, if the Cowboys weren't the Cowboys. Yeah,
1: it's like the Packers. Just that roster. Don't like the team, but they're like, when they're firing on all cylinders, sweet to watch. It would
0: be so fun to be a Cowboys fan right now. That roster is awesome. Yeah, and exciting too. I mean, they're not like just the good; defense. they're like really exciting. It's
1: not just the offense. I mean, you have right. like all like Lamb. I know Gallup has done for the year, but like Lamb and Cooper, are awesome. Dak is amazing. Um, Zeke is hot and cold, but when he's hot, he's hot. But that defense, man. Micah Parsons, Trevon Diggs is a a very polarizing player, but eleven picks is eleven picks. Um, Keanu Neal, Dan Quinn, baby, come on. How can you hate him?
0: I know, he's he's all of a sudden a very, very sexy name in head coaching circles again. Then we got Steelers-Chiefs. I think that one's easy for both of us. You're talking about like the most aesthetically beautiful style of football for me versus far and away the worst team to watch in these playoffs. And then Monday night, man, the Schadenfreude Bowl. Cardinals-Rams. Who's it going to be, Mike? Who are you rooting for in that game?
1: I think pretty obviously going to be rooting for the Cardinals. Um, Fuck the the Rams. The Rams were 10 and 0 this season against non-playoff teams and 2 and 5 playing teams that are in the playoffs, including that win early in the season against Tampa Bay that was like very impressive, you know, that just catapulted them back into like okay, yes, they are who we thought they were. And then uh they beat Arizona recently uh when they were losing four out of their last five games. So
0: I think that's the best game of the first round. I do I do think that just like as an objective football fan. I think that's the most interesting game, but you get to the end of the year and and all of these end of the season stats come in and all the metrics and all of that, and it's it's no longer mid season stuff. It's like, okay, here is what happened this year. I will say the one that smacked my gob the most is the Seahawks finishing higher in offensive DVOA than the Rams. Beautiful. That I would not have believed that if I didn't actually see it on Football Outsiders. The Seahawks finished 7th in offensive DVOA with that giant wasteland in the middle of the season. That's how good this team can be. And the Rams, who front-ran for most of the year and finally got the elite quarterback to go with the McVay offense, finished 8th with no quarterback injury.
1: You look at the Seahawks and they're... Eighth overall in passing DVOA and sixth overall in rushing DVOA. So it's that's not it's, crazy. That's balance. That's balance, baby. Yep. That bodes well, and obviously carried a bit by the surge at the end of the season. But even in overall DVOA, the Seahawks are eighth in total DVOA and ninth in weighted DVOA. So it wasn't like they were like first or second in weighted DVOA towards the end of the season, and that just boosted their shit way up. Like. There were elements of a good football team throughout the season.
0: You're right. You're right. And and like we talked about a little while ago, it's just the timing didn't align or it didn't sustain long enough. But, you know, what what's done is done. And that means that it is time to hand out some hardware. And Mike, I know that you've got some awards to give out. What are we looking at?
1: Okay, so let's start with uh, Offensive Player of the Year.
0: So I interpret this to be the best non-quarterback, right? You're going to give the MVP to a quarterback, so it's the best non-quarterback. And for me, it's Cooper Cup in the landslide, winning the triple crown of receiving, leading in yards, setting the NFL record four yards, uh, granted did in the 17th game, led in receptions, led in touchdowns. Easy call for me. Uh
1: that's valid. Um, he just so happens to be a member of the Los Angeles Rams football <laughs> franchise, so we're gonna go Jonathan Taylor over here, Jackson. Sure, I'm, I mean a that, worthy selection it, it, either way. Absolutely, absolutely. Who's your Seahawks offensive player of the year? I think it's
0: Tyler Lockett.
1: It's Tyler Lockett. Yep,
0: yep. He finished ninth in the NFL in yards this year. You know that?
1: While Crazy. dealing with the carousel at quarterback.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and he was just. He was just there all year long. He missed the one game because of COVID. But, yeah, he he was the one that was the most consistent for sure. And he performed at a high level.
1: Who's your uh, defensive player of the year? In the NFL? Yeah.
0: There's a bunch of good ones. T.J. Watt.
1: It's T.J. Watt for me, too. Who's your defensive player of the year for the Seahawks? Quandre Diggs. Yeah, of course it's Quandre Diggs. All right. All right. Who is your coach of the year in the NFL? Mike Vrabel. I agree. I'm totally with you. Dealing with all of those injuries to Derek Henry, to AJ Brown, to Julio Jones. And they still finish with the one seed. Unbelievable. Uh, who's your Seahawks coach of the year? <laughs> 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 you say Mike uh, Solari, I'll slap you through the,
0: <laughs> you know, you know, I want to say someone that's not Pete Carroll, but it's, it's Pete Carroll, man. Uh, This team found a way to treat those last two games of the year meaningfully. And it wasn't like they scored a bunch of points and won those games because it's like, oh, let's just empty the playbook and run all those plays that we haven't been doing. And there was nothing fluky to me about it. It's that they showed up with intent and executed. And the way they talked before and after those games sounded like a team in the middle of the playoffs.
1: All right. Who, uh, I mean, the Seahawks didn't really have any, that many rookies worth mentioning where they didn't get enough playing time. So who are your uh, NFL offensive and defensive rookies of the year? I feel like this is the most straightforward one.
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's a, a great case to be made for Rashawn Slater with the Chargers up front, but Jamar Chase is the most natural looking rookie football player I've seen since Randy Moss. And he did it sitting out, his last year in college. I mean, the guy didn't play football for two years and came on the scene. And it's like, is this guy the best receiver in the NFL?
1: I was talking to uh, buddy Alistair Corp about this in the middle of the season. And it was just that it doesn't feel like Jamar chase has one defining trait that he is really, really good at. He's just so good at everything. He's just better than everybody that's lined up across from him. He's faster than everybody. He's stronger than everybody. He's better at adjusting at the catch point than anybody. It's just like, it's just a bona fide. That's a, that's just a great football player, brother.
0: He, he is, man. The game just comes easy to him. There was no rookie learning curve. And the same can be said for Micah Parsons. Game. And I think same. that's yep. just like yep. so straightforward. Yep. I mean, Mike, Micah Parsons is already one of the scariest players in the NFL, yep. which is just crazy
1: who uh, who's your NFL MVP?
0: I have been a Tom Brady guy all year. And, you know, I said on Twitter recently that I would choose Tom Brady. And the reason for it was watching him go down and, and win that game against the jets. And it's like, Oh, Oh, he beat the jets. But like the jets had that game. They were up by four, I think. And they went for it on fourth down. And I was watching that game on red zone. And I was like, if they don't make this, they lose. There's like a minute and a half left. And the bucks had to go 90 something yards. And it was like, it's, it's Tom Brady. Didn't matter that Godwin was out. Didn't matter. that Antonio Brown was out. Didn't matter that Mike Evans wasn't at full speed. That Leonard Fournette was out. It was like, if the jets don't convert this, the bucks are going to win. He led the NFL in passing. He's the guy I wanted to be him. It's Aaron Rodgers. You just can't look at the numbers. The Packers are the best team in the NFL. I think by a decent margin, He's a perfect quarterback when it comes to on the field stuff. There's no one better than Aaron Rodgers.
1: You know, towards the end of the season, I was leaning Travis Homer for this, but I'll <laughs> settle with Rodgers. I think that's pretty valid. Um, Perhaps next who, year. He's got momentum going into the offseason. This is the truly interesting one. Who is your Seahawks MVP?
0: It's Quandre Diggs for me.
1: That is my answer as well. Yep.
0: I think he was the best Seahawk all year. Even when the defense was really bad, he was the guy that was covering for everybody. And he was the only guy forcing turnovers on this defense. He was the glue. He was everywhere he needed to be every time he needed to be there. And just, just a horrific end to a season. The guy was three months away from just a life changing off season. And I hope he still gets his bag. I hope he gets it from the Seahawks. He was, he was the best player on the team this year.
1: Totally. So, I have just a couple more that I want to ask you about a little custom awards. Who is the player in the NFC West that you're just disgusted that they're not on the Seahawks? That you have to watch them suit up for a team that is not the one that you root for?
0: There's actually so many. There the are NFC so West many. is so damn loaded. It's, it's so really annoying. tough. It's really tough, but I think I think the best football player on the planet is Aaron Donald. So, it's him, but number 2 for me is George Kittle.
1: So the in the division, I think it's Debo Samuel and George George Kittle is like a, a close second for me.
0: Yep, D- Debo is high high on that list for sure.
1: Yep, and then outside of the division, who 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 is the one that's just it pains you?
0: Um, you know, s- specifically because of the fact that they there's there's two players that the Seahawks could have had, um, you know, and so that makes it I'll I'll always more not getting Creed Humphrey and not getting Derwin James quandary Diggs eliminates a lot of the sting of Derwin James, but the player outside that I just
1: really wish that Seattle had is probably miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is awesome. Just like the prototypical enormous guy that can just stop the run, you know, get after the pass. What do you have like 16 sacks this year? And he had like a quiet second half of the season. <laughs>
0: Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he just prototype. unlocks everything else that you want to do on defense.
1: The, uh, the first one that I thought of as well was Derwin James. Um, the guy that is painful for me is TJ Watt. He was there for the taking in 2017. Like, <laughs> you know, they traded yeah. down from, uh, what was it? Like 26 to 35 or something. And they took Malik McDowell, which I maintain was good process, sure, but sure and it netted that trade down netted leno hill and tedrick thompson it did provide chris carson so there's some silver linings to be had but it was just like oh my god i wonder if like the highly productive freight train from the family of mutant super soldiers is going to be good (laughs) like oh i wonder how this is going to turn out the
0: the bosa family is basically cobra kai yeah
1: exactly so T.J. Watt is just like he's unbelievable,
0: yep. man. Yeah, that's like... a good that's a good category and a good answer. Mm-hmm.
1: So, okay, final final award of the season, Jackson. This is this is very important, especially as we head into the playoffs. All right, and and, and viewed the playoff uh, the hunt going down to the wire for certain teams. This is the Hot Topic Award, and by that, it is the player you love to watch melt down in the most embarrassing way possible. Why is it called the Hot Topic Award? You may ask. Because we all love a good choker, Jackson. <laughs> Who do you got? Oh,
0: it's got to be Ben Roethlisberger. I think, and that's that's part of what made makes it such a bummer. The Steelers sucked this year, man. They 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 fucking sucked. I don't know how Mike Tomlin smoking mirrored them into the playoffs. Amazing. Got, he he is. Oh, he, I mean, Mike Tomlin is um, is lovely. And the, the thing, there's a lot of infuriating things about Ben Roethlisberger, and I'm going to limit the conversation to on-the-field stuff. Sure. Is that he is surrounded by so many dynamic, amazing, fun-to-watch athletes. Chase Claypool is like a Cirque du Soleil dude that's 240 pounds. Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris. This These are fun players, and you're just watching Roethlisberger's throw cement blocks three yards downfield. You know, it's just, it's just awful. And, and in, I'm not going to say he's faking his injuries, but that dude has limped back onto the field so many times, you know, it's just like the, the dude creates his own drama. He, he looked like someone microwaved a marshmallow and shoved it inside a helmet. Like it's just, he's, he's tough to look at. He's hard to watch play and he's an unlikable guy in my opinion. So, Rothsberger
1: for me. Yeah, I I would say Carson Wentz, but I, I feel bad <laughs> yeah. for the guy, you know, like it's just sure. like it's not as funny anymore. It's just kind of sad. He's harm he's harmless. Um the answer is is Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, everything that went into it, you know. The fun part is I'm not sure um, if you've read Seth Wickersham's uh book, It's better to be feared about the Patriots, but it is exposed It's on the queue. It's in the it is queue. It's exposed in that book that uh Tom Brady reached out to the 49ers and said, "I will be your quarterback if you guys want me." And they said no. Wow. <laughs> they thought about it. I because mean, because they had, Kyle Shanahan because they go way had back. Jimmy, yeah. Um but they said no, so he went to Tampa. So I just like Trey Lance um is is on the rise, of course. Yeah. He is a terrifying athlete and if he puts it together, that is Nightmare. I, right.
0: Would. Right. If 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 the next Josh Allen is in the NFC West, that's trouble. But
1: but if they squandered Tom Brady in his final years, which are still very good, he's a borderline MVP. Yeah. For James Garoppolo. <laughs> he is so fun to watch fail, man. He is so fun to watch fail.
0: Sure. And and you know, he is someone that I I am. Um, cursed with a handful of friends who are Niners fans and talking with them about Jimmy G has been like, they couldn't wait to get him out of here. And then he, he did it with, with the season on the line and everyone clamoring for Trey Lance, who had a very nice start the week before in a win. He went out there down 17, nothing brought him back, led a game tying drive at the end of regulation game winning drive. It'll be interesting to see if they win this first game against the Cowboys what his future is but this is the first time i'm hearing that tom brady story uh which is amazing how poetic is it and i don't know how much of this was his motivation but how poetic is it that he was spurned by john lynch so he went to john lynch's old team and won a super bowl yeah (laughs) that's awesome all right well this has been a lot of fun and this does mark the end of the first Seahawks season of the Cigar Thoughts podcast. But unlike Seattle, we are going to keep playing this postseason. We will still be here along with some really exciting guests. Keep that streak going. And we're going to break down the postseason and, of course, any Seahawks news that comes across the desk because we're all originally here because we love football, and this is the best time of the year for the sport, even if our boys aren't invited to the party this time. So in the meantime, Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at at Mike Barwin. The show is at at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at @CigarThoughtsNFL Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to the show and read all of the articles that I wrote this year at Fugles.com slash Cigar Thoughts. Mike, how are you feeling
1: now that it's all said and done? Season one, Seahawks season one in the books. I think that, uh, I think we established this run pretty well, Jackson. <laughs> I feel good about what we've done and I'm looking forward to what's ahead, buddy.
0: And, hey, me too, pal. And and for those of you listening, it, I don't know how much of it comes through listening, but the sheer magic and professionalism that Mike has added to this has been incredible. He makes me sound good puts the show together in such an incredible way uh, we i am blessed as a friend and co-host uh, to have him and trust me you guys are blessed to have him behind the boards on the show as well you know when we first started this up we knew it would be fun and we hope y'all would like it but the response you've given us has really blown us away the stature of guests that have joined us this year has been incredible and so have the conversations that have resulted from that and we are just getting started we're excited to grow this with y'all through the offseason and into next year so until then Onwards and upwards, my friends. Catch you soon.